Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, January 15th, 2016. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution, where we will be reading on page 23, and we will start with these observations would be academic, and we'll be reading first three paragraphs, and the last two paragraphs will be for comment. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Mary H., the 12 Traditions, CBB. And our text readers are Kathleen W., Lisa H., Terry H., and our newcomer greeter for today is Deb W. The share ID for yesterday, Thursday, the 14th day of January 2016, is 8381. 8381. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps for us. Good morning. This is Mary H. in Connecticut, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. In 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles 
in all our affairs. And I pass. I will now, thank you, thank you, thank you. I will now ask Phoebe B. to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, this is Phoebe B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Vermont. Monica, thank you for your service. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. (coughs) Excuse me. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always remain maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Phoebe. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. We are on page 23. 
And our first reader will be reading three paragraphs. We will begin with these observations would be academic, going through assert his power of will. The first paragraph is for context only, and we will like comments on paragraphs two and three. And with that, I will ask Kathleen W. if she will read for us, please. Hi, this is Kathleen W. in Phoenix, Arizona, recovered. Can you hear me okay, Monica? Yes, loud and clear. Okay, great. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on that last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw the fallacious reasoning, if you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses which they are satisfied part of the time but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There, there is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. How true this is, we realize, in a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself with his lethargy and assert his power of will. I better set my timer because there's a lot to talk about here in the um, second and third paragraph. Um, This is Kathleen W. from Arizona. And um, I wanted to focus on a few things. um, But in his heart, in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. And, you know, when I was in, in and out of relapse over the years, I never knew what was wrong with me because I had never studied the doctor's opinion. And I looked up malady, and the definition of malady is a disease or ailment. And baffled is totally bewilder, total bewilder or perplexed. Um, and I remember when I went through the steps two years ago with my sponsor, it finally sunk in that this that I have an actual disease. And I remember going through a sadness that this was the true fact that I had an ailment that I would never get over. I would always have this thing. And But the feeling, as I went through the steps, that feeling was short-lived. And then I grew to accept, accept it as I went through the steps. And now I have a very beautiful network of people around me and I and um, we all have a common peril and a common solution. And this disease is actually not a death sentence. And I live a, a beautiful life today and have become the true person that God, my higher power, has created me to be. 
um, as long as I continue to work the steps and not rest on my laurels, as I did for years, because that just led me to relapse. And then the next um, sentence I wanted to focus on is, um, this is the obsession that someday, somehow, they will beat the game, but they often suspect they are down for the count. And my only thought right before picking up the food um, was this time it would be different. That's all I would think of obsess about. And I always thought that I could eat like a normal person because I didn't know the real truth that whenever I ingested my trigger foods, it would set off the physical craving and the obsession of the mind. And then I was always down for the count because when I would binge, I could not function in life. And um, and then that other sentence, um, in a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal, but everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will, will rouse from his lethargy and assert his power of will. And I don't have much time left, but lethargy is lack of energy or enthusiasm. In my family, they, I told them about this, that I, what I had when I was in my 20s, and they never understood, and they never will because they don't have this. And I have much more to say, but I will stop because my time is almost up. <laughs> and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen W. And who would like to comment on Mary? These? Mary. Mary. Janice. This is Bella. Can I say? Mary, Bella, Janice. Tina S. Tina. Reba P. Reba. Mary. Lynn. K. Larry. <laughs> I'm writing as fast as I can, guys. Kathy K. Okay, this is, I didn't catch you. Who? Okay, this is what I've got. And if I didn't catch someone, pop in. Uh, Mary, Bella, I think I heard you, Janice, Tina, Riva, Lynn, Larry, and Kathy Kay. And Vasa O? Vasa, I didn't get you. Okay, Vasa. All right, here we go. And Melissa C. Thank you. Okay, here we go, guys. Mary, and I didn't get your... Please, everybody, give me your last initials because I, exactly. I didn't catch them, obviously. I thought we were dropping them. That was my question. I'm Mary M. <laughs> uh, okay, I, set my timer. Here I go. If everybody would mute. So I get very nervous. <laughs> and my ears have been hurt from a lot of noise. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, love the reading. This is Mary uh, M. Recovered compulsive overeater and abstinence, and you are the greatest things I have. And when I just tuned in, and the girl was reading, and it said, "We really, really don't know why we picked up." Boy, I remember that's uh, two and a half years into my abstinence. Two and a half years ago, when I read that in the big book, oh my goodness, I said, you know, bells went off because truly. Truly, I can say I had no idea why I picked up. I remember that January uh, night when I did it. My husband, after 50 years, had just given up cigarettes. And five days later, I picked up the food, and my bulimia set in. I was a, a wild person. But I remembered what God had told me, that if I would just come back to the meetings, just come back to the meetings. He promised me he would speak through all of you and through the literature, and I would have a spiritual awakening. So when I would never say to my never say to my um, sponsees, 
if you don't put down that food, your blood is not going to be on my back. I could never say that because I don't want to. I know people can get abstinence out of fear, but it doesn't last, you know. And because um, I know that this whole book says it's about finding a power greater than ourselves. So there can only be one real way that we can receive this power to 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 be able to arrest this um, disease. And I'm just so grateful for all of you. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Mary M. And Bella G., you're up. And then Janice M. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. And assert his power of will. Wow, I cannot even hear this sentence because this was the key of my life before program. Before program, I was a failure. I was a failure. No matter I did, I was a failure because I didn't have the willpower. And this is what I believed and this is what people believed. And this this was my belief. You see, everybody else can do a diet and can keep the weight off. Not me. I am not responsible. I don't have a willpower, and it was miserable. It was miserable. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. Now that I am doing the steps and I am leaving the steps, and, you know, I yes, I have to remind myself that step one, I am powerless. Sometimes it's harder than others, and, you know, it's not so easy for me, you know, to give up the power Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I have all the time the opportunity to remember, yes, I am no no longer there. Today, I am connected to a higher power. And yes, I am human. I am limited. And I am connected to a higher power that trusts me. And yes, my, I have a disease. This is the way God wants me to be. And I, I, with this disease, I live peacefully and in freedom because today, no longer, I am not connected to my ego, to my power. Today, I am connected to a loving, respecting, accepting power. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Janice M., you're up, and then it'll be Tina S. Well, good morning to you, Monica T. And everyone, my name is Janice M. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, we know about the allergy. Now we're talking about my mind. This is the part that I did not know. I just didn't know because I didn't know that I was powerless, first of all. I thought I could control my mind by doing this, well, take a bath, do this, take a walk. Yeah, those helped. They supported. But they never removed Um, the obsession from my mind because I always believed the lie that was in my head through excuses, through reasons. After all, if you had my life, you would do this. You know, they seemed reasonable, you know, poor me. Um, but, But that wasn't, it didn't work. So excuses, reasons, 
that comes from the mind. It doesn't come from my body. It comes from my mind. Um, and if we look at the word believe, there's a little word inside that word that says L-I-E. And that's what was happening to me with my illness. I was always believing the lie. And, you know, there is the obsession that someday, somehow, uh, they will, you know, I will find a way to beat this game. And, and that's what I did for years, testing my personal control. That's what I was doing, testing. Well, I won't do this. This doesn't work. So I'm going to test something else. And that didn't work. So I'll test something else. So the, the obsession is an idea that I had in my mind that overcomes all other ideas like circumstances that happened after I would binge, you know, or the results of my binging high blood pressure. Did, that didn't come into my mind. The, the, the thing that came in my mind is I was going to get some relief, you know, because I was restless and irritable. Especially when I was abstinent, I was more restless than ever. So my mind told me, go ahead, go ahead. It, it, it overcame any other idea that I could possibly believe in. And, um, and that a lie is something that's not true. And um, boy, let me tell you, I really sat in the rooms. They said this is the last house on the street. And I said, they are like, you know, big shot. Oh, no, it isn't. This is not the last house on the street. I'm going to find a way. After all, blah, 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 blah. I'm so unique. And uh, you know what? I couldn't find a way until I came into the program, especially this group, you know, that taught me the big book. We studied the big book. And that's what I found out was the truth, that there is nothing I can do except Find that power that's going to relieve that obsession and remove those ideas, those insane ideas, and be restored to sane ideas. Yeah, I have this, I have this illness. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Tina S., you're up, and then it'll be Reva P. Thanks, Monica. Tina S., uh, compulsive eater anorexic from Florida. Um, can you hear me? I'm have been having problems with this phone thing. Yeah, we hear you. Okay, okay, thank you so much. Uh, well, some great stuff. Heard some really good stuff. You know, I uh, was reading this last night with a fellow traveler, and you know, once in a while he may tell the truth. And you know, and I came in thinking that I was just holier and thou and never lied. And that was that. On that, that was the lie. Once in a while he may tell the truth. And um, you know, and. When I get to this part of the book, you know, I have to really know that I'm bodily and mentally different than my fellows. And, um, you know, and I don't know that I really had uh, moments when I was satisfied with what I was telling myself about the excuses about how I felt. But I, I do remember just being totally defeated that, you know, I knew something was wrong, did not know what it was, but I knew that, you know, I'd rather die. You know, I didn't want to wake up in the mornings when I'd go to bed at night after a binge. I was just so miserable and, and wanted to participate like I saw others participate in life. And, and, and I thought that I was going to live like this for the rest of my life, you know, and, and it's already been shared, you know, and, and I was a baffled lot. You know, I was totally confused. And, you know, and I'd wake up and then maybe I'd say, okay, strap on them, pull up them bootstraps and let's go and off again. You know, this time willpower will do it. But, you know, um, there was that obsession that somehow someday I'd beat the game. But And the only way that I did that was to surrender to a power greater than myself. And I'd already been said that, you know, on my own, I cannot do this. And, um, 
You know, and, I, and I was down for the count. That's why I'm here. You know, I didn't come here because I was doing well. So um, with that, glad, glad to be here and glad everybody's on the line. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Reva P., you're up, and then it'll be Lynn. Hi, Monica. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I wanted to share on two things. The words uh, beat the game and assert my power of will. Um, The greatest idea I have is that if something isn't working, um, I need to try harder um, and exert my will even more. Um, And it doesn't work. And that's um, a false uh, belief. And it's the lie that I tell myself that I need to do something. Um, I need to figure this out. I need to come up with a solution. Um, so this program works absolutely backwards from what you know my logic tells me. It's not a logical disease, and the solution isn't logical because by admitting I don't have any power at all, and I can't beat, which reminds me of fighting. Um, I don't fight anything or anyone um, because it just doesn't work. It didn't work with the food, and it doesn't work with my character defects, and it doesn't work with my life. Um, The second thing I wanted to share on is this uh, wording of somehow, someday, it's going to magically happen. Um, And even in program, you know, this magical thinking that I'm going to get something by osmosis, you know, I'll just sit at the meeting, I'll just hang out with the strong people, and it's going to magically happen. Um, I always had this fantasy, you know, like if I just wish hard enough, uh, things will magically happen in my life. And that never happened. That was another lie. Um, so that reminds me, I need to do the work. You know, I work for something and I get the same results that other people did when they did the work and they do the work. Um, yeah, so I need to take the action. It's um I heard somebody share once it's miraculous, but it's not magic. There's work involved. And with that I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Lynn, you're up. And what's your last initial, Lynn? I didn't catch it. And then it'll be Larry K. Hi, this is Lynn S from Toronto, Canada. This is really this sec- second paragraph just brought me back to uh just before I came into this period of abstinence. I had uh, 17 years in OA, a few years in recovery, perhaps in the beginning, and then the balance was just 17 years of abstinence. And I went through an eight-year period of relapse where I got abstinent for a couple of years and then lost it, and then I'd get a year and then lose it, and then I'd get some months and then lose it. And I can remember so clearly thinking you know, binging, I was mad at my sponsor, and I remember eating at her because she ignored me. And it seemed to make sense at the time, but also in the time, in my heart, I really knew, I I don't know why I'm doing this, but what was worse was I thought, you're going to be one of these people that they often talk about and say, I wonder whatever happened to Lynn S., or there's Lynn S. She had 17 years, you know, but she could never get it back. And that was the thing that I struggled with for those eight years. I couldn't get it back. But I wasn't working the program. 
I was just being abstinent, and I didn't understand the difference. I truly didn't understand the difference. And I was, I was a baffled, baffled over the whole thing. And I can remember the, the deep despair in my heart when I thought, you know what, I, and I am never going to get this again. I can't do it. You know, whatever it is, I can't do it. And I, and I suspected I was sort of down for the count there. And that was when I truly surrendered. And now, in hindsight, which is the most amazing thing with program, as I see so much looking back, now in hindsight, I realize what a wonderful moment that was because I truly surrendered to God. I surrendered to working the program. I can remember saying, God, please help me, and going, the only way out of this for me is the steps. And I remember sitting there in this journal, writing out the steps from heart, but it was almost as if I was taking them. The words like really resonated in my heart. It's almost as if I was taking them at that particular moment. Since then, thank you, God, the food has been for the most part quiet. And I am finally, for the first time, working the steps the way it's outlined in the book. And, and uh, some of them I resist and some of them I'm going forward at and some of them are stop and go. But the change has been amazing, and I finally understand the difference. And it's, um, it, it's really a miracle. So I was a baffled lot. Thank God I was down for the count, because if that hadn't happened, I would never be where I am now. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lynn S. Ka- um, Larry K., you're up, and then it'll be Kathy K. Good morning, Monica. This is Larry Kay, uh, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago, getting over a little cold here. Um, you know, I, I'm at a, a, a destination uh, wedding for my niece, and um, I mention that because what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of different things, you know, uh, little parties and so forth leading up to the wedding on Saturday, right? So, you know, last night was a, some sort of cocktail party. And, and, um, and I remember, you know, just observing, you know, I can live in the present today. I could never do that before. The only time I was ever in the present was when I was eating, when I was truly in the present. And, you know, life unfolds in the present. And, um, you know, I watch other people eating. You know, I see, you know, how, how well-intentioned, you know, for me, w- when I was stuffing my face, you know, that was the only time that I, I was really, really focused that I could attend to the moment, you know, cause life does unfold in the present, but so often we, you know, we let the present slip away, you know, allowing time to rush past unobserved. I did much of my life rush past unobserved, unseized, you know, squandering those precious seconds of our lives, you know, as I worried about the future ruminated about what's past, you know, so there was always this mental fragmentation, you know, this disintegration, distraction. I was discoherent when I was eating. And by the grace of God, I don't have to do that anymore, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, when I was at work, I would fantasize about about being on vacation. If I was on vacation, I worried about the work piling up. I always, you know, I was always thinking about the next food, the next binge. I couldn't appreciate living in the present because the monkey chatter of my mind, you know, vaulted from thought to thought 
like monkeys swinging from a tree, you know, tree to tree. And, um, and this was my, you know, this was what my life was. It's not like that anymore. See, today I can be present. I can get a cold, right? Not feel great, but I can still be in the present moment. And the interesting thing about it is, is it was, it was this very program. I was telling someone yesterday that, you know, people ask and see people a lot in a while, uh, some of these people. And, you know, I can say that who knew that these, these 12 simple steps would lead to the state that I'm in now where um, I can attend to the present. I could never do that before. However hard I tried, I tried, I tried. Let me tell you, I tried, but I couldn't do it. Not of my own accord. And, and I can tell you folks that by the grace of God, these steps, the actions that I eventually took allowed me uh, to get to this place where I can attend to the present. It is miraculous, but it's not magic. It uh, comes with action. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Kathy Kay, you're up, and then it'll be Vassal. Thank you, Monica, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And um, as I listen to everybody shares, and reread these paragraphs, I realized that I've really been on a journey from the very beginning 22 years ago where I had to uh, finally come to the conclusion that I was powerless over this disease. For so many years, I thought I could figure it out. I read every piece of literature. I... um, talked to people, I applied my analytical mind and thought, you know, I will figure this out. And, of course, I never did. Um, I had the obsession that I would figure this out just like I had solved my other living problems. The truth was, however, that I really hadn't solved my living problems. And uh, it wasn't until I read the doctor's opinion that I began to understand the expression, a a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind, which is what I was trying to do. You know, early in my time in OA, I thought I overate because my husband didn't pay enough attention to me. Or I thought I overate because I was expected to do too much at work. Or, and I can come up with many different excuses all about the world around me and how the world made me eat. Um, And I am just so grateful now, having worked through the steps, and in particular uh, the step one, where I finally realized that my willpower, which had worked in so many other aspects of my life, would not work with this disease. And uh, it's through working through the steps that my own um, insanity, that which goes on between my ears, became very clear, and I started to develop a connection with a higher power who could help me heal from that insanity and in doing so no longer need to use the food. I'm very grateful that these steps exist and that we're here to study with each other. I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Kathy K. Vasa O, you're up, and then it'll be Melissa C. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Monica, for your service. And I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Florida. And I really had no clue when I came to OA and the big book and the 12 steps. I just did not know. I did not know why I was doing what I was doing and trying to control it for many, many years. And it was always trying something new, something different that I would hear. And my husband would just shake his head. And he'd say, how long is this going to last, you know? He didn't trust me. I didn't trust myself. I had no clue about the disease. I had no clue about the allergy. I didn't know about the mental obsession. Well, the mental obsession, now I know. I was always thinking about the food, when I'm, when I'm going to get the next fix, you know. But, again, I was just so, so ready and so willing when I came to OA to admit and just to say. I was a little embarrassed when they would ask, you know, you know, uh, you know, raise your hand if you're an alcoholic or food addict. You know, I didn't even know the f- they call the food addiction. You know, I just did not know because food was just so accepted. As growing up, even it killed my mother, but it was so accepted. Everybody ate. I understood about alcohol. I remember thinking, well, they should just put it down. What's wrong with them? But now I have so much compassion about anybody that's struggling with food, alcohol, drug, whatever. You know. Because it's an addiction. It's so hard to put it down without getting the help, you know. And I'm just so, I was just so ready and willing to just to surrender to God and just say, God, that's just step one. I can't do this anymore. And I was just so, I didn't want to die. I really didn't want to die. So I just so was ready and willing to just to surrender and my knees and just ask God to forgive me and or whatever I was told to do, I did it. And I did receive uh, the spiritual experience, you know. But that was just the beginning. I've been doing this for many, many, many years. And it's not just surrender and that's it, do nothing. I needed to take the action. I threw myself into the program, the meetings, 12 steps, you know, the big book, learning about the allergy, the solution. And um, there's no graduation for me. I've been doing this for 30 years. And I have heard of people that have pulled away, how they went back into the food, you know. So I love my life the way it is. I'm just so grateful, you know. And I just go through life. You know, there are a lot of good things and not so good things going on. But doing what I'm doing, I get the strength, I get the power, the courage, the wisdom gradually and uh, to deal with life, not to run to those substances that made me so sick. And I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. And I thought I was going to die 30 years later. What a gift. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Melissa C., you're up. Hi. Good morning. It's Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I read this, it almost sounds like um, it's somebody who doesn't necessarily have our condition, you know, wondering. If you ask this person why he picks up, why she picks up, um, you know, that that uh, sometimes you'll get the truth out of them. You know, and, and that to me sounds like it's the question is being posed by someone who doesn't understand this. And so, I, you know, I was never able to tell the truth 
to anybody why I did this, uh, not even to myself, because I had no idea. Um, it was like mindless for me. Why was I doing this to myself? Why Why did I eat again and again and again? And, um, you know, it was like sometimes I was just on automatic pilot without any other, you know, possibility. Um, and But then other times it was I just could not care anymore. I just couldn't summon up the strength to care. And, um, you know, and why? Because the desire to do this was greater than anything else in my life. That desire to put the food in my mouth, to, you know, get in the car, drive someplace, that whole experience of getting it, um, that desire was greater than anything, greater than the love I had for my family, greater than the love I had for myself. And, you know, and every other approach I tried, um, tried to arm me with the strength to overcome it. And nothing else ever discussed removing the desire. You know, and that's, um, that's the beauty of this program of recovery is that, um, you know, I needed the desire to be removed for me, from me, taken from me. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what my higher power has done for me. Yes, through my work of the program of following the steps, but um, that is the miracle that um, the desire is lifted, and so I don't have to fight it any longer. Thank you. That all ten. Thank you, Melissa C. Okay, and who else would like to share this morning? Would anyone else like to comment on these two paragraphs? Renata. Renata. Carolyn H. Leah Say your name M. again. Leah. Um, was it a Charlene or Charlie? Carolyn H. Carolyn. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Carolyn. All right. Oh, my. Okay. Renata, Carolyn, Leah. Virginia. 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 What's your last initial, Virginia? C. C. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Let's go with that. Renata, Carolyn H., Leah M., and Virginia C. Renata, you're up. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. Uh, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are baffled lot. And you know what's coming up for me today? Like this paragraph brought very, very vivid memories of the pain and suffering of my disease, you know, that mental torture, you know, that fight in my head, you know, my mind telling me, go pick up the food, you know, pick up that cookie, pick up that whatever, you know. And I'm telling myself, no, no, remember what happened last night, remember what happened you know, last month or whatever, and uh, but that mental torture, you know, that my my mind would always convince me to go and pick up, and I would live in that vicious cycle, you know, of taking that first bite and feeling all the consequences that come with it, not being able to stop and feeling miserable and defeated and 
you know, shame and guilt and all that stuff. And, um, you know, but once I heard heard about Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I thought, well, that's too drastic. What do you mean food addiction? Like, this is not for me. I'm not that bad. And I kept trying to really... um, overcome this disease with my own power and I could not you know so uh, to the point that I got desperate enough to give this program a chance and it says here you know once this malady and I've learned in this program what I had was a spiritual malady what I do have still is just you know under arrest it's a spiritual matter a malady that in my case manifests in my body as an allergy, and in my mind, you know, that mental obsession that keeps me driving, sending me back to the foods that are killing me. You know, for some people, it manifests as alcoholism or gambling or sex addiction or things like that. So, you know, what these steps did for me was to really treat that spiritual malady. That was the cause of my problem. And the big book talks about when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that's what happened for me, you know, but I had to really follow the directions from the big book and the recovered people and put the food down and work the steps as if my life depended on it. And then, you know, that mental obsession is arrested one day at a time. And uh, I uh, just to wrap up, uh, one time someone sent me something, I don't remember it correctly, but, you know, something like this, that on my own, on my own willpower, I have no chance against this disease. And thank God I know that. But, you know, with the power of the steps and my higher power, this disease has no chance. This disease is no match for this step. You know, if I trust God, Time. clean out and have help others, I, I don't pick up. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. And please, I would like a gentle reminder, everyone, please, if you are not the speaker, please mute your phones. All right. Carolyn H., you're up, and then it'll be Leah M. Thank you so much. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for leading today. I um, This is Carolyn H. from Massachusetts. I, too, was one of those that um, when I came into this program, I thought all I needed was to impose my own will and all was good in the world. And everything would be wonderful and I'd lose the weight and I'd be a happy woman and there you go. The rest is history. Not. And because of that, I was able to go through 24 years of misery in this program. That was the beauty of it. God allowed me to see that um, of myself, I was nothing. I was absolutely nothing. And, you know, I don't know if anybody on this on this phone knows that song, You Made Me Love You, but uh, it truly uh, kept hitting home with me. Every time somebody was sharing this morning, that song kept popping into my head. You made me love you. I didn't want to do it, but I did it. And that's what it was for me. I had to have a love for the God of my understanding that was far beyond anything I ever had in my life. And because of that, 
because I allowed myself to be open and willing because I felt that brokenness so severely after 24 years of struggling up and down, in and out, in this program. I did never left this program, and I struggled so horribly, so horribly. And because of that, God had another plan for me. He showed me that it was truly about what I still needed to learn so I could help the fellow sufferer. In this program, I have gone through gastric bypass. In this program, it's the only place that I have been able to maintain anything close to a normal weight because I follow his will today, not mine. And I am so grateful for the dope slaps that I've received and the two-by-four across the back of my head when I finally said, I am so broken, I can't do this anymore. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn H. Leah M., you're up, and then it'll be Virginia C. Thank you so much, Monica. How true this is, few realize. Um, I didn't realize this <laughs> about my disease, you know, uh, for for a number of years in OA. I sat in OA from 1982 to 1987. I did not get this piece. I just didn't get it, you know. I was, you know, just focusing in on the abstinence. I had to get someone in whom the problem had been solved and they served as a guide and with the combination of their experience and this text, I got an education about the exact nature of my illness, about the condition of my illness. You know, yes, I have an allergy of the body. Yes, that's a bad problem. Yes, it's vital, critical that I put down my substances, uh, you know, before embarking on the program of recovery. But the big book now focuses only on the obsession of the mind. From this page on, obsession of the mind. And I needed to get an education about it. You know, everybody focuses in on the problems that compulsive overeating causes, the weight gain, cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, all that stuff. But the real problem is that even after all that damage, even after all the suffering I experienced, even after all the consequences, even after the disease is explained to me in excruciating detail, I would still go out and pick up that first bite. And that occurred when I was abstinent. I was making that decision to pick up when I was abstinent, and that's the insanity that the big book is talking about, and that's what I had to understand is this obsession of the mind. You know, the big book's characterization of that is a thought that our overpowers all other thoughts. It's an obsession over which I have no mental defense, because it's, if it's the only thought, it can't have self-reflection. You know, once that thought entered my mind to go take that first bite, there was no self-reflection because it's the only thought. And since it's the only thought, it doesn't know it's the only thought. <laughs> it crowds out every other thought to the contrary. I didn't get that piece, and therefore I didn't understand the necessity of the steps. And that's what step one is all about, the realization that I'm doomed, I'm cornered, and I'm not doomed because of the allergy of the body. I'm doomed because of this mental obsession 
because I had to realize that the only solution that will ever work for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, is a solution that lifts that mental obsession, removes it, drives it out. And I could not do that by myself because I couldn't stop the thinking that kept sending me back. And so I had to have that realization, and then, of course, I had to get to work. (laughs) And that's the whole process of these 12 steps in proper sequence. And thank God it drove the mental obsession out, and I've been restored to sanity, as the big book guarantees. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah M. And Virginia C., you're up. Virginia C., you're up. You're breaking up, Virginia. Okay. Um, That's good. That's clear. Is that better? Okay. So how true this is, she realized, in a vague way, their families and friends these drinkers are abnormal. Um, I I mean, for me, though, people might have sensed that I was abnormal, but no one, including myself, would have ever correlated it to my eating problem. Uh, I was in a healthy body weight or, you know, fairly normal body weight. And so, whereas maybe with an alcoholic or someone very in the bottom of their disease, it's more obvious. With me, it wasn't obvious to people, like, why I was angry and and yelling and, and distracted all the time. Um so no one was ever hoping, like, oh, if she'll just put down the food and then she'll be okay. They were just like, well, why is Virginia so crazy all the time? Um, and even now that I've recovered, no one, you know, acknowledges or I think even understands that the reason why I'm not so crazy all the time is because I've put down the food. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people observe and what people you know, that people understand why, you know, I've had this change. It just matters that I have, you know, had this change. And I had a beautiful experience last night that it just reminds me of how far I've come. And in, in a relatively short time, my son was putting things, was putting leftover food away, my seven-year-old son, and dropped a Pyrex dish full of food and shattered, was spread all over the kitchen floor. And, I mean, two years ago, I would have been yelling at him for being clumsy and, and uh, you know, just angry. And then I'd have to clean it up and I'd just be in a bad mood and I'd go and eat. But last night, he dropped it. It broke. I was standing right there. I just turned around and said, why don't you leave the room? You know, I want you to get cut. Go up, get your bath. I'll clean it up. And I didn't even have, like, a second of irritation or urge to yell at him. And and I was as I was, was kind of calmly cleaning up the mess, I said, How amazing is this? How lucky am I? All I am cleaning up is a mess on the floor. I'm not cleaning up a mess in my mind as it was two years ago. I'm not cleaning up a mess in the food as it was two years ago. I'm not cleaning up a mess in my relationship with my son as I would have two years ago. I'm just cleaning up some broken glass on the floor and what a miracle that is. And that is 100% because of the recovery I've found in this program. So it doesn't matter that people know that the change in me has happened because I'm not picking up my binge foods anymore. 
but they do see the change in me. And my hope and prayer is that, you know, I can be an inspiration to the rest of those in my life of, of the, the power of being connected to God and living with patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Virginia C. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Because we've come to the end of our time here this morning so quickly here. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I will ask Terry H. if she could read for us, please. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thanks, Monica. My name is Terry H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Maine. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you have in God. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.